Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Deputy Editor at Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each month we're delving a little deeper into some of the conversations being had in our community, learning more about exciting innovations and probing some of the issues that we're facing. This month's episode is our election special. We'll be hearing from candidates from the Conservatives, Labour and the Liberal Democrats about what their policies can offer charities. We'll then be joined by Jay Kennedy, Director of Policy and Research at the Directory of Social Change, to dissect their answers and talk more about what he and other sector bodies would like to see from the next government when it comes to charities. And I'll be talking to Lord Hodgson of Astley Abbott's about the Lobbying Act, the impact it's having on charity campaigning, and whether or not he still believes it needs reform. So yeah, that's our election special, and if you don't like this one, don't worry, there'll probably be another one in six months' time anyway. So true, so true. (laughs) So do you have any election traditions, like anything you do when an election comes up? Like I normally drink a bottle of wine and cry. (laughs) That's a good one. I vote, I vote, that's my election tradition. Obviously that is an important one. Go out and vote, everyone, register to vote, in fact. You need to, you know, register probably by the time this comes out, register like today yeah. because I'm pretty sure the deadline is the 25th or the 26th of November. So what about you? I always get a curry in. Spicy. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know why. Like, I think it was, I have this memory of my dad staying up all night to watch the 1997 election yeah. with a curry. And I think it was the first time I really had a concept of elections because I was about eight. Yeah. So like, I've just in my head, I'm like, oh, it's an election. We have to have to get curry. I always, I always try and stay up like super late to see the polls come in. Inevitably, I kind of fall asleep in front of the TV. Yeah. So not, not that much. In any case, we are like celebrating with a bumper episode of election content, super hot election content for you today. So we will crack on with that now. So, unless you've been living under a rock for the last three weeks, you will have noticed that there is an election on. Another one! Hooray! So, on December the 12th, the nation will go to the polls again to decide which party will lead us through, ostensibly, the next five years, and possibly through Brexit. But what does this mean for charities? In recent years, there's been a growing ambivalence among charities about what Westminster politics has to offer the sector. In a blog for Third Sector earlier this year, Paul Streets, the chief executive of the Lloyds Bank Foundation, urged charities to stop looking to Westminster, which will be preoccupied with Brexit for the foreseeable future, to deal with the fallout from austerity and to seek local solutions instead. Vicky Browning, who is the chief executive of charity leaders' body Akivo, also welcomed the Conservative government's civil society strategy, which was introduced last year. But she warned that only coordinated action will bring that to life and strengthen the relationship between charities and government. Others, however, have said there are opportunities for charities to have a say in Britain's future during and after Brexit, and that in the event of a hung parliament or another minority government, MPs might be more willing to listen to charities' policy suggestions. With us now to discuss this are Baroness Barron, the former Conservative Minister for Civil Society, and Bobby Dean, the Liberal Democrat candidate for Lewisham Deptford. We'll hear from Lewisham Deptford's Labour candidate, Vicky Foxcroft, a little later on. But first of all, Baroness Barron, Bobby, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Baroness Barron, could you kick us off, please? What are the Conservative policies for charities and what can the third sector expect from a Conservative government? Well, first of all, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thanks so much uh, for inviting me. As you know, our manifesto isn't published yet, but we did publish, as you mentioned already, a civil society strategy that was absolutely aimed to be a long-term working document. So I assume that uh, any future strategy from the Conservatives will build on that document. And I think the key in that document is that the role of government is to amplify 
the voice and impact of civil society organisations with the aim of bringing a real sense of connection, a sense of agency and a sense of confidence to all of us wherever we live across the country and that we in government should bring some focus to that and try and unlock the potential of the different organisations that make up civil society. So certainly in my time as minister, I felt it was very important to have that focus. I focused on three things and I think it's hard to imagine that those three things won't still form a part of any future Conservative government. So the first was building a sense of connections in communities and I'm sure we'll have a chance to talk more about that. Making sure that all our young people have access to youth services and that the commissioning and funding landscape works for charities. We need to make sure that there's innovation and that we encourage the sector to innovate. And we need to support the fantastic work that goes on on the ground and make sure the sector is trusted, whether it's in relation to safeguarding, fundraising or some of the other things that have been controversial. So obviously you you said that the civil society strategy is a long-term plan, that's what it's set up for. Um, I'm interested in what you feel has been achieved so far by this strategy. Um, Do you feel that the third sector does have that sense of connection, agency, and and how would you say it's been received by charities? I think that the strategy, you know, which is before my time, so I can take no credit for it, has been pretty well received uh, by the sector. I think there was healthy challenge at the point of the one year anniversary of the strategy. And as you may know, I spent most of my time in office on the road trying to talk to people Um, around the country. I think we've made a good start in some areas and some of these things are going to take much longer to achieve. So I suppose I would just touch on a few things. I think we've worked very hard to give people voice. Um, We've done a few pilots which we've called Innovations in Democracy, but that's basically just asking people what matters to them in their community in partnership with the Ministry for Housing, Communities and Local Government. But we've also trained at a more micro level, just under 3,000 community organisers who are working to mobilise local people on the issues that they care about. So I think voice is really important. We've started the conversation and the action around loneliness. I've been kind of blown away really about the level of interest um, in the whole loneliness agenda. I think the third area where critically we are kind of rebooting is in relation to young people and youth services where absolutely we all know that youth services have been cut over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. or so and we're doing that both in terms of bursaries for youth workers so that we have the workforce that we need but also funding both the National Citizen Service, providing opportunities for uniformed youth groups like the Scouts, youth volunteering and social action through I Will and um, most recently the Chancellor obviously announced a £500 million youth investment fund Um, which will go into both some new youth centres, but also refurbishing existing ones and providing more youth workforce. Briefly, we've made a start in terms of commissioning and funding. We need to think about the right kind of funding for the right 
kind of issue and maybe this we'll is have... a major problem yeah. for the sector at the moment funding of course is, you know, it's a yeah. huge challenge for charities right now so we have done i think again I'd, i don't want to take any credit for it because it was before i was in post but the work we've done with the social value act which will be rolled out more next year where it becomes a duty to consider social value in public contracting you know, is massive. There's 16 billion goes direct to voluntary and community organisations, closer to 50 billion from central government contracting and a huge amount in local government as well. So the Social Value Act will be important, I think, in starting to move that. We've unlocked a lot of money through the dormant assets, addressing, I think this is where some of the risk stuff comes in. We have put money into funding the sector in terms of developing particularly safeguarding resources and training, which mm. um, is in response to some, some of, of the, the scandals that yeah. we've seen in the yeah. sector in the in the past couple of years, which is, yes, very important to have to have that resourcing. And you uh, mentioned commissioning earlier, and obviously a lot of ch- local charities providing services have been hit hard by cuts to local authorities, who are kind of the big commissioning bodies there, um, both because cuts to services have meant charities see a rise in demand, and they've seen their own funding from local authorities cut. Do you have any plans to increase government support for local councils? So government support for local councils for this year is already going up. So funding will be up by three billion uh, in revenue terms in 1920 year on year and core spending power by 2.8 percent to 46.4 billion. Um, And obviously, depending on the result of the election, we will obviously, depending on who's in power, there'll be a much longer term plan. Obviously, it would be remiss of us not to speak about Brexit on some level or another. So so I, I just I just wonder what sort of impact you believe that, you know, if hypothetically, if Brexit does mean Brexit and we and we go go ahead with it, what do you believe this impact might have on charities? And there's also been some conversation about the role that charities can play in healing the divisions, which it has um, put in place. So I guess, what do you think the impact of it will be? And how would you support charities to help get over the quite fractious environment we've had in the last few years? Uh, Well, that's a really important question. It'll amaze you to know that we think we need to get Brexit done. And I think that some of... I think when we have clarity, it will start to reduce some of the concerns Mm -hmm. that people have had. And clearly there are very polarised views on this. I would say that it's... I genuinely think it'll be very difficult to define exactly the impact of Brexit because there are a lot of moving parts and all the major parties have announced massive policy and spending announcements in terms of infrastructure and other things. So distilling out the Brexit impact, I think, is genuinely very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, When the Prime Minister spoke in Coventry last week, he did confirm in the accompanying literature that went with his speech that we would introduce a shared prosperity fund, which yes. I know the sector's been anxious. Mm, and we've been anxious to hear more uh, on that. Chasing me about from April of 2021, which will be focused on particularly vulnerable people and that will tie in with when the EU structural funds start to taper off. So yes. the areas that were mentioned there were particularly for example, things like ex-offenders, those with mental health problems, and so forth. In terms of the healing bit, mm-hmm. um, I guess my reflection would be there's a lot more than Brexit that divides our communities. 
civil society organisations play a really important role there because they're trusted. And I think we need to move away from a sort of transactional relationships. Mm -hmm. Here's the service we're delivering you and this is the impact or the output we expect from it. They're more of a kind of relational thing. And with the best will in the world, government's a bit clunky to do that. So civil society plays a critical role in that. And there is, as I said already, fantastic work that we need to build on and amplify. But also, I think civil society organisations, and I I think in your introduction, you talked about government listening to policy recommendations. But I think that we also need to listen to that 96% of the Mm. sector who are very, very, who are zero degrees of separation from the communities they serve. In fact, they kind of are one and the same thing. And that opportunity to speak truth to power, to use the cliche, I think is something that we need to have our ear trumpets on to be Wonderful. listening to. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Bobby, could you tell us what charities can expect from a Liberal Democrat government? Yeah, sure. So... Everybody will probably know by now that um, Stop Brexit is the headline policy, um, but it's more than a campaign slogan. It has all sorts of impacts to the charity sector. First of all, we spoke about lots of potential moving parts uh, because of Brexit. Well, we wouldn't have to worry about that. That uncertainty would end. I know that there's lots of potential for upheaval regulations that will affect charities. Um, There's lots of threats to environmental and human rights regulations that we've fought for hard for as a sector that would end there's worries about access to funding pots that would end because we'd still be able to access those funding pots for the European Union and concerns about staff as well I know particularly working in the international development sector lots of people draw their staffs from overseas and they're worried about staff's rights to to stay as well those concerns would all go away if we stopped Brexit so there's real implications to this sort of uh, headline slogan the secondary one um, is of course the impact it would have on the economy I think it's kind of recognise now that at least in the short term there would be some hit to the economy and we've calculated that that would be roughly around £50 billion extra that we'd be able to uh, invest in public services. This was fact-checked by the BBC and they described it as sort of relatively prudent so <laughs> that's <laughs> that's at a minimum something that we'd be able to, to invest and I'll come back to talking about pu- investment in public services in a moment um, but the other thing I think that's really important to highlight is our, our firm, firm commitment to 0.7% for overseas aid and you know if our economy is growing stronger than it otherwise would be if we left the European Union then that's extra money for overseas aid too which obviously affects an awful part uh, of the third sector Um, and I think we've calculated that's around £190 million extra per year um, according to the estimates in terms of that sort of remain bonus that we'd get. In terms of thinking about it more broadly I think we need to think about government's role in civil society full stop. Um, I think uh, we've had a bit of an attitude recently where a lot of sort of service position has almost been handed over to the charity sector. We also have alternative proposals for bringing a lot more of it in-house into government, but I really think it's got to be a hand-in-hand approach. There are certain things that charities are always going to be better at providing because they have more knowledge, more expertise, more sort of community know-how, more agility than, than, than governments can sometimes, but we need to be able to put the funding in place in order for them to do that. So in areas of social security, for example, which we know has had a huge knock-on impact on the third sector, we're proposing an extra £6 billion a year. We're going to be reducing the waiting time for universal credit from five weeks down to five days, Uh, scrap the two-child limit, scrap the benefits cap, increase working allowances. All of those things should have a huge impact on the the capacity of people that are operating in the third sector at the moment to be able to concentrate on the tougher areas rather than these things where government is at the moment just making life more difficult. The same comes for health as well. We've got this proposal of increasing tax. We're being really honest with people and saying, 
okay, the money might not always be there, but if we all chip in extra with a penny on income tax, we've got more money immediately for health services. That'll that'll trickle down into to public health campaigns, uh, which 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 will help out that uh, mental health and social care as well, which we also know is providing the gap. We talked about loneliness at the moment and poor social care provision is contributing to that to an extent because even the staff that are meant to be providing that care don't get to have that care element they're they're in and out and chasing from appointment to appointment with regards to sort of youth and children we want a huge investment in schools um particularly making sure that um send as we describe in our special education uh, needs and disabilities is catered for properly in schools i think that will help plug a gap that's um that's that charities are currently having to sort of fill at the moment and we've also got a huge investment program for youth services 500 million pounds into youth services but alongside that crucially a more kind of practical approach to rehabilitation in our in our criminal justice system as well um so one that will hopefully address lots of the problems there with more wider sort of community rounded support for people that do become offenders because after they become offenders their lives have become so much more difficult and we need to change our approach on that too. Yeah, there's lots of other areas that we could speak to, but I think the, the, the overall message is that we need to stop Brexit so that we can end a lot of these uncertainty over regulations, over threats to protections that we have, losses to access pots, but also government needs to step up in terms of its involvement and funding and yeah, end this policy of just handing over problems to charity and working hand in hand with them instead. And, you know, you spoke very eloquently just there to um, some of the impacts that you feel Brexit would have on that third sector there, mm-hmm. um, which was, was really good. And so obviously we put the question to Baroness Barron about the role that charities can play in helping society kind of move on from the um, kind of the, the divisions which have been caused by this very long process. And I'd be interested to, uh, to how you guys would work with charities to sort of make that happen. Yeah, I mean, the number one thing we can do is recognise some of the reasons that people voted for Brexit. It wasn't all to do with the institutional relationship with the European Union. It was also to do with social ills in our society. So we need to be stepping up and addressing those social ills alongside charities as well. That One of the first steps to healing the divisions in our society is to be improving people's lives and building a brighter future for everybody and ensuring that people aren't being hit with these barriers and having their lives made more difficult because of government decisions. So I think we can we can cooperate with charities um, across the country on helping to deliver the services that people need and that's going to go a long way to healing the divisions. You've touched on it a little bit but um, when we're talking about services a lot of the issues around services have come through cuts to local government funding um, and yeah, do you have any plans to increase funding and support for local government? Yeah, so there, there is a commitment in the manifesto. Ours came out yesterday, so I have the benefit of talking to some of the manifesto <laughs> points. And they're committed to a real terms increase in local government funding. Uh, but I've obviously just spoke about all the other one that wider public services investments will help will relieve the strain on local councils too. But also it's a long-standing Liberal Democrat policy to have a sort of revolution and devolution, actually. So we, if we had our own way and we had a majority government, there'll be far more powers um, down at local government level. There'll be far more revenue-raising powers down at a regional and local government level. Um, so we, we think... Though, those people know their communities best and know what sort of resources they need best. So if there was a Liberal Democrat government, it wouldn't only just be sort of increasing this um, local government pots in terms of real terms. It would also be allowing them to raise revenue themselves to, to, to address the problems that are most important to their community. I think that seems like a good place to leave it. Thank you both so much for talking to us. We really appreciate you coming in and taking the time. Yep. Great. Thank pleasure. you very much. Thank, Thank you. Very much. you. 
Vicky Foxcroft is the Shadow Minister for Civil Society and candidate for Lewisham Deptford. I caught up with her at her campaign office earlier this week to ask her what a Labour government could offer charities. I guess the kind of easiest way of me going saying this is why I was asked to go and take over this um, brief. Um, I was involved in the Youth Violence Commission where we did a lot of research around the long-term causes of youth violence and to make sure that we were um, bringing everybody together in terms of this and adopted a public health approach. Now, the public health approach is something that not only can relate to youth violence, but can actually relate to um, mental health and lots of other things that are really important um, in society. So making sure that we've gone and got a long-term approach, so a 10, 15-year strategy, making sure that we follow the evidence and making sure that we focus on what works. So sometimes that might mean not doing something that doesn't work, but then looking into uh, doing things that that work. And ever since I've taken over this role, which was only in July this year, when I've met with um, charities and other third sector organisations, the thing that they've gone and said to me is that short-term funding, a lack of long-term approaches are things that are leading to instability and the inability to go and do things that really have that long-term lasting impact in society. So to me, those are the things that we'll be getting from a future Labour government and those are the things that I'll be driving forward if we get that government. One of the things that we think is we need to really expand trustees that um, go forward onto boards, making sure that people have time off for the role of being a trustees, but also are able to very easily access that training um, is extremely important because we want to make sure that um, the charity in the third sector is able to diversify and truly represent uh, you know all of our local communities. I think that that's really important is you know looking to something similar in terms of school governors and councillors you know we absolutely have to go and value the role of that not only is it beneficial to companies which we all know that and I was a trade union official before I was an MP and argued this for a long time but actually, the wider benefits to society are absolutely massive. So this kind of public health approach, the idea is that it will kind of be more holistic as, a, as an approach to, to sort of the issues of charity. Yeah, no, absolutely. So if you take it in terms of youth violence, we obviously um, need to invest in youth work in the long run, as well as other early interventions such as Sure Start, both policies that the uh, Labour Party has said that we'll do in government but we also need to work with charities in the third sector you know with religious organizations as well as others to go and say okay well how do we work together what do you know on the ground that we need to know and learn and listen to because I think too many times you know those that are filling the gap in terms of society and we all know that the third sector has had to step in over the last nine years with all of the austerity that has taken place can have the answers so it's making sure that we don't just pretend to do a listening exercise but actually we listen we work and we support each other in terms of making sure that we deliver those long-term changes. As you mentioned you've uh, only had this brief since July and under your kind of um, predecessor the there was the paternalism to participation paper that was released and um, how much of that document is going to feature in the manifesto do you think? Well, you know that the manifesto isn't out until tomorrow and we are making sure that our manifesto is fully costed. But a couple of things that I know will be in there is that we will be repealing the Lobby and Act, something that I know that um, charities and other organisations have said, you know, at times makes it challenging for them to um, campaign and champion the issues 
that are extremely important. And we think that's really important because actually we don't want the voice of the third sector and charities not at the heart of our decision making. And we think that the lobbying act was wrong, that it was gagging the voice of all of those grassroots organisations that do fantastic stuff. And so we want to make sure that we absolutely change that. And we will be repealing the Lobbying Act. Um, we also think that it's really important that smaller um, charities and organisations are absolutely supported. And so um, that will still be the case, as well as, you know, we'll see quite a lot of stuff within it, as well as the um, ability to go and, you know, take over empty spaces for community use, as well as a dormant assets funding, which actually was first introduced under the last Labour government and was Gordon Brown that went and brought this in, as well as, you know, reviewing the use of the big society capital um, to ensure that it's very much supporting the sector. Uh, there's been a feeling in the sector in recent years that Labour has fallen out of love with charities. Um, what do you think you can say to reassure the sector that that isn't the case? We definitely have not fallen out of love with charities. I mean, we all know you will not speak to a Labour MP who has not had to work with and rely on charities because of austerity taking place. So we know how vital you know charities and the third sector are but what we want to make sure we do with a Labour government is not always having to rely on them picking up what the state should be doing but working with them to make sure actually we create a much fairer more equal society in the future. A lot of charities providing services have been hit very hard by cuts to local authorities both because cuts to services have meant charities see a rise in demand and because they've had their own local authority funding cut. Do you have any plans to increase government support for local authorities? Absolutely. We know the vital role that local authorities play. And before I was an MP, I was a local councillor and we had to undergo cuts from central government. And we know that we have to reinvest in local authorities, working with you know local charities and local organisations to make sure that we can really improve things on the ground. And we can't continue with the years and years of cuts that local authorities have had you know we have to reinvest in them because they're on the ground you know working with you know our schools our NHS you know our limited amount of sure start um, our limited amount of youth work to make sure that we can go and build you know for the future to make sure we've got a more fair and equal society. What impact do you think Brexit is going to have on charities or, or you know what effect you believe not leaving the European Union could have? Well there's certainly things around the European Social Fund and, you know, I know that the government's been consulting on the UK Share Prosperity Fund for quite a long time. And it's quite worrying about whether or not that funding will be absolutely guaranteed, you know, in the future. And I think that we need to make sure that that is. But, you know, ideally, I'd like to see that we have a Labour government because I think we've got quite a clear plan for what we would be doing in the event, you know, of um, being in government. We would make sure that we went and renegotiated a new deal with Europe, which wouldn't be a hard crashing out. And then we would put the vote back to the country and people could decide at that point whether or not they want to remain or whether or not they want to go out on that deal. Well, um, we're now joined by Jay Kennedy, who is the Director of Policy and Research at the Directory of Social Change. It's so good to have you here. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. So so you were listening to our conversation with the candidates there. What did you make of the things they had to say? I thought it was really interesting. Um, they both 
took, I, th I think, slightly different approaches uh, to the questions that you asked. Baroness Barron obviously has, as the sort of, I guess, incumbent... Yeah, so she's got she's had yes. lots going on, hasn't she? So there's lots to say there. She's got a, a record to defend, but in, to a large extent, it's not really of her own doing. So she's come in, I think, was it about a year ago, mm. not even that, and picked up on policy positions that have been produced by her predecessor. So it's not a sort of, I don't envy her that position. Mm. She makes the right sort of statements in terms of motivations and principles. Uh, she talked a lot about, I was particularly struck when she said, we need to move away from transactional relationships mm. um, and we need to really listen to the 96% of the you know, charity sector, voluntary sector that are part of communities. There, there's a zero degree of separation. And I, I, that's something I really agree with. So I think she kind of gets that aspect of it. But when it comes to the, you know, the policies of the current government and, and you know, whether they've been delivered, mm. I think it's a really tall order. And there were quite a few points I was scribbling down where there's actually quite, a, I think, a real tension between the reality and and the rhetoric, if you like. Yeah, and, and so uh, the question I put to her was like, how do you feel like the civil society strategy has been received? Mm. And she sort of said, you know, yeah, good, you know, positively. What what do you think of that? How how do you think it's gone down? As someone who is, you know, deeply in the sector yourself, what do you what do you think of that? Well, I think when when it was published, there you know there were some good elements in it. It talked about um, grants, and we sort of was one of our kind of things that we were pushing for was a, a renewed focus on grant funding for charities. The last year, as I think, it's not unfair to say it's been it's been a story of, of almost none of that happening, <laughs> and that's yeah. not her fault. That's because, for one thing, Brexit sort of sucked all the oxygen out of everything. It's a total vacuum. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, even even sort of big, massive policy issues, pressing policy issues like housing, social care, that kind of stuff hasn't progressed. So, you know, the the, the sort of civil society strategy, worthy as it may be or not, I don't think has had the kind of a political capital push behind it to to actually succeed with, with any of those ambitions. But a couple of examples of the kind of the, the, the dissonance, I think, between the rhetoric and the reality. So she talked a lot about giving people voice, which is absolutely right. And, you know, we need the charity sector to be speaking up uh, and having a voice. And there's so much the charity sector can contribute to developing policy. And politicians need to listen to that. They need to seek mm -hmm. it out. They need to there's lots of expertise in the sector. But on the other hand, we've got the current government has continued to basically stonewall on reforming the Lobbying Act, yeah. which is ironic considering that the previous government asked Lord Hodgson to conduct a, you know, a year-long review. And we will hear from Lord Hodgson later yes, in this interview. Yes, I'm going yeah. to be talking to oh, Lord I'm Hodgson keen later to hear, I'm keen to hear what he has <laughs> to say about it because you know, I, at one point, I suppose in a previous life, whenever it was three or four years ago, I, I looked at that all of that in detail and he spent a long time consulting and he came up with very detailed, legally specific ways forward that essentially all the people who got a problem with the Lobby Act agreed with. Hmm. Um, and the response upon receiving that report was, well, we're not doing anything, we're not legislating, we're not going to respond really to this report that we commissioned. So, again, distance between rhetoric and reality. And that segues nicely into obviously Labour's kind of major policy where it comes to charities in their manifesto released this morning is that um, they will repeal the Lobbying Act. Yeah. Um, so I mean is that something you're in favour of or do you think it should just be reformed? Well I think one thing that we've been putting to them is it, unfortunately repealing it is not as simple as that. We could probably spend hours talking about the complexities of the rele relevant legislation but essentially a, a kind of 
a good solution in the short term would be to, to legislate along the line of what Lord Hodgson's recommended, and that would remove the risk to charities from the relevant legislation. But it's more complicated than just repealing it, but it, I think they have been in listening mode. Uh, it's easier to be in listening mode when you're the opposition. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, bouncing off that, you know, Bobby had lots of big ideas, you know, and big things to say about what a liberal and majority liberal Democrat government could achieve. Um, I wonder how realistic you think that that could be in practice if they were hypothetically to kind of get into government. Yeah, well, uh, what I was struck most by about him is he so he's not in, not defending a record, so he's kind of in a different position. He kind of talked a lot about how his party's policies would have a a sort of second order effect on charities. So, the the the, the headline one being stop Brexit. So he talked about. Um, that helping charities with staffing uncertainty and uncertainty around EU funding and things like that. And then he went on to talk about their kind of mainstream policies and how that would, you know, reduce the difficult environment for charities, which is, you know, that's a good, um, that needs to be discussed. And I think actually that will be part of what most charities will be looking for in the election manifestos is, you know, what are they going to be saying about social care or what are they going to say about youth so, but but a very little. I mean, I didn't hear anything specifically about the charity sector. Yeah, or that's, that was something that I sector. kind of and yes. I, yeah noticed. Know, that doesn't surprise me. They don't that they haven't traditionally um, offered much in that way uh, in my experience over the years. So DSC released its own kind of manifesto, position statement, sort of ahead of the election. What were your key concerns there? Again, so there there's a decision to take. I think for charities that are in our position and want to activate people and get people involved in 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 politics and campaigning and and pushing for what their beneficiaries need i kind of see it two ways so i think if you're if you're an organization like ours which has a national remit we're looking at things that might benefit the entire sector no matter what they do as i said i think a lot of charities will be looking at you know what is the particular policy area that they're working in you know if it's homelessness if it's if it's housing if it's health whatever and there'll be probably be quite a lot of meat in the manifestos around those things. Um, but we, we've just decided to reframe things that we've been campaigning on for years. So, mm. you know, the number one thing was getting a big lottery refund. Uh, we want the next government to commit to paying back $425 million to the, well, it's now it's the National Lottery Community Fund. We've been campaigning so long, they've changed their name. So this was um, money that was borrowed from the then big lottery fund um, yeah. to pay for the 2012 Olympics. That's right. Yeah. Sorry, I should have mentioned that. It's, some would say wow, raided. Wow, that's before my time. I yeah, had yeah, no yeah, idea yeah. that that's the whole thing that's... got on for a while. Wow. That's a, that's... <laughs> this, this happened in 2007 and we've been campaigning in earnest since 2012. So my goodness, this won't be our first rodeo <laughs> <laughs> um, and there's a way that that could happen. Uh, we want uh, parties and the next government to commit to making it happen because um, at the minute it's all locked up in assets on the Olympic Park and that needs to be sorted. Uh, we talked about the Lobbying Act, but one of our other priorities is, along with other charities, is, is dealing with that. And there's a simple solution. There's, you know, legislate along the line of what uh, Lord Hodgson has recommended. Just needs the parliamentary time to do it. We don't want to see the Charity Commission uh, bringing in charging for charities. That's a position we've had for many years. It's a sort of Groundhog Day kind of discussion that happens, you know, normally around this time of year, actually, yeah. uh, where somebody floats the idea that the Charity Commission needs to charge charities for being regulated. Um, we fundamentally disagree with that. And actually, the, the kind of posture of the Charity Commission over recent months and years has only reinforced our view on that. The other thing that we're working on is uh, supporting our grants for good campaign. So getting parties to commit to to grant funding and to kind of restoring the balance to grant funding, particularly for 
small local organizations. And obviously that's impacted by all kinds of questions around local government and, and, and uh, commissioning reform, like Baroness Barron mentioned. And finally, to legislate to create a community wealth fund. Uh, and that would be based on an, another tranche of dormant assets in the form of stocks and shares and things that are uh, don't have any current owner in, in a similar vein to the previous scheme that was based on uh, dormant bank accounts. So in their various policy positions to date, the Conservative Party and the Labour Party have talked about grants and they have talked about some form of community wealth fund from dormant assets. But I'll be keen to see in the detail of the actual manifestos, whether those have sort of made the cut. What else do you think are going to be the key charity issues in this election? And what should charities be doing to get their voices heard? Well, like I said, I, it's this always kind of started out being pitched as the Brexit election. And I'm kind of convinced that actually that isn't going to be the case. There are a lot of social issues that have been basically un, unaddressed for years. And actually, charities have been addressing them, but with very little help certainly from the national Westminster politics. So things like social care, things, things like housing, things like homelessness, things like climate change, hot on the agenda. And we seem to be in a kind of arms race amongst the parties to, you know, be more forceful on that. But where's the, where's the reality? Where's the, where does the policy kind of rubber hit the road? Mm. Um, so I think there'll be lots of policies that, that charity will want to look at in that respect. In terms of what they should do, I think... They need to just make sure that their expertise is out there, that they are targeting it at, at, at people, at anyone who will listen. If you think of, you know, something like the, the Trussell Trust and food banks, um, they've made a massive impact, uh, raising awareness about, you know, the plight of people who are in food poverty by gathering data and putting it into the public domain and being quite brave about it. And we need more charities to be doing that. And, and can we possibly persuade you to throw your hat in the ring with a, with a prediction about what you think might happen in this election? I think we'll have another hung parliament. Really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So in that case, we'll see you again in another six months yeah. and we'll be having this yeah. same conversation. Yeah. Have me back, please. Be, <laughs> we will. Be a pleasure. We'll be glad to. Jay, thank you so thank much. You. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks. Now, the Lobbying Act, properly known as the Transparency of Lobbying, Non-Party Campaigning and Trade Union Administration Act, was introduced in 2014. It sets spending limits and makes it a legal necessity for all organisations that spend more than £20,000 in England or £10,000 in Wales on regulated campaigning in the year prior to an election to register with the Electoral Commission. Many charity and sector bodies warned that this could have a chilling effect on charities, making them less likely to speak out on important issues in the run-up to general elections for fear of breaking the law. And a report by the Commission on Civil Society and Democratic Engagement in September 2016 found that it may well have had that impact during the 2015 election campaign. In 2015, the government asked the Conservative peer, Lord Hodgson of Astley Abbotts, to review the parts of the Act that related to charities, and in March 2016, he announced his findings, calling for the period affected by the Act to be reduced to four months and saying that it should only include activity that was actually intended to sway voters. And then nothing happened. The government has not taken up his recommendations and the Act remains in place, although, as we've heard, the Labour Party say it would abolish it if it came to power. I met Lord Hodgson at his Westminster office to find out what impact he thinks the Lobbying Act will have on this election. Lord Hodgson, thank you so much for joining us. Your review in uh, March 2016 uh, called for the period affected by the Act to be reduced and you also said that it should include act only activity that was actually intended to sway voters. Do you still believe that the law needs reform? 
Yes, I mean, I, uh, there were those who said the whole law should be scrapped, and I don't agree with that, because I think the integrity of our system does require us to ensure that third-party campaigners are brought within a, a legal framework. But there were various aspects where I thought the Act impeded particularly heavily, and to one place it didn't impede heavily enough. Um, so there was a balance of package reforms that I suggested in my report. As regards to the specific question that you asked, yes, I thought it, sh- it could be shortened. Um, and I also suggested that there needed to be provisions to allow for sudden elections, because, of course, it's all very well saying this to charities and voluntary groups, third-party campaigners. You know, you, you, you've, got to, you've got to start a, accounting for your costs ahead of the election. It's all right if you know when the election is coming. So there was a specific request for something to be done to allow for sudden elections, on which we've now had a couple, really. I was going to say, at the time, that was a bit of a kind of, this is a possibility, as now we've had several since then, haven't we? Yep. Well, we're both, in fact. Yes. We're both the two since have been sudden. But, of course, in fairness to the Electoral Commission, they have said that they're not going to, you know, they, they accept the impossibility of people being able to judge exactly what uh, is going to happen. And I know of no, there may have been, but I've never heard of anybody being had up for misbehaviour on account of the election coming sooner than anticipated. No, that makes sense. I mean, do you think there is an appetite within the Conservative Party, should we get another Conservative government, for them to make those reforms that you've suggested? When I produced my report, it it received a favourable response from the government. And, and I thought the answer was yes, we would. Um, you know, legislative time permitting. Uh, I think time's moved on, and some of the urgency in the situation has slightly diminished. And so, I'm not sure there is the appetite now. And in, in, in any case, you know, every year the issue of social media and the way social media plays into third-party campaigning gets more important. And, you know, I tried to do a bit of foreshadowing at the end of my report about how we might deal with a third-party campaigning in a social media age. But I I suspect there's a bit more work now that now needs to be done on that, because in the last four years, three years, uh, there have been quite a number of developments. Do you think that the uh, Lobbying Act is affecting charities in the run-up to this election? No, I don't. I think, first of all, I know of no charities that have been spending the money planning to spend the amount of money they're allowed under the Act. So, you know, this isn't a shortage of money. And, of course, uh, there was a sort of harouche when the Act came into force, both while the Act was going through the Parliament, and particularly going through the House of Lords, there was a pause while they thought further about it. But there was a a lot of stuff about the chilling effect. Mm. I'm not convinced that the chilling effect is, is as bad as it was made out. I think trustees faced by lawyers saying, well, this could happen, uh, lost their nerve. So if, I mean, just to take an example, if you are a charity that believes we should ban the export of live animals, I take some, you know, outside the immediate political spectrum, then you can, you can say parties that wish to ban the export of live animals are deserving of support. So, you know, you're, you, can, you can say that. You, you're, you're working in pursuance of your public benefit objective. What you can't do is, is to start saying vote for X in that sense, because then you are, then you're, you've, you've crossed over the line. There was, a, at, the la- at the last election, the thing about the Coalition for Marriage, which was able to say, uh, was able to put out leaflets describing how various members of Parliament had voted 
in respect of gay marriage. So, that, I mean, I think you could even say XYZ standing for re-election as constituency voted against banning of export live animals, because it's, it's as long as he or she did, because yeah. it's a matter of fact. Brilliant. Is there any advice you would offer charities in the run-up to this election? Don't in the run-up to this election. If you're, if you're spending X a year, don't suddenly spend 3X in the six months for an election, because people <laughs> do wonder what that's all about. Yeah. I mean... You're, you're likely to look at it slightly askance if you suddenly ramp up your spending in a huge way in the run-up in the run up to, an, to an election. Be sensible, follow your public benefit objectives, think about how it could be interpreted. And I don't think, I mean, obviously, this is the CC9 advice from the Charity Commission. I see no evidence of the Charity Commission or the Electoral Commission wishing to take on charities who have behaved sensibly or even maybe made a mistake. It's people who will gratuitously go out to flout the law that they will be after. And I think the, the sort of people that um, who are hopefully listening to this, these few words, will be people who quite understand that. We need integrity in our electoral system. We need to know who is saying what about whom and why, because that's all part of making sure we are voting accurately and fairly. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for talking to us. That's really helpful. Okay. And all that's left for us to say is to remember to register to vote and to go and vote on the day. Exercise your democratic right. And we'll be back with another episode next month. So make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Thank you again to Baroness Barron, Bobby Dean, Vicky Foxcroft, Jay Kennedy and Lord Hodgson for joining us. To the producer, Anushka Tate for Rethink Audio. And to you for listening.